Good to have you here today. If you're new, my name's Brent. I'm one of the pastors here. And if this is your first time, you've actually come into our church family at a very unique point in our history. This will be the first Sunday that we minister under this name of Grace Crossing Bible Church. So I'm excited about that. I am hopeful for that. But I need to say from the beginning, it's a new name, but it's the same gospel. Amen to that? The gospel never changes. It's a new name, but it's the same Bible that we preach from. It's a new name, but it's the same mission that we're on in this community and in the world that God started some 66 years ago. We have a mission to reach out with the gospel of Jesus Christ because that is what transformed our hearts. That is what can transform every heart. We build people up with the word of God, not our opinions, not the cultural ideas, but the very word of God, and then we grow in our relationship with God and with one another. Now, that's a mission we've been on for many, many years now, and if God would continue to bless us to fulfill that, the end result is God is glorified. It's all for the glory of God, and that sounds kind of religious and preachy, but it's very practical. It means God has made much of among us and through us to the world. That's what it means to glorify God. So we've been in a series in the book of Romans, and we're going to step out of that just for this Sunday because I want to plant three ideas from God's Word in all of our hearts and our minds together, not only as we gather here as individuals, but more importantly, as we gather here corporately as a church family. Here's the three ideas. There's an important part of remembering what God has done among us. There's an important part then as we remember that we would rejoice together in what God has done. And then lastly, this idea that God's not done with us and working through us. So there's this idea of continuing to reach forward to what God has for us. Let's ask the Lord to lead us today. Father, we're thankful that we're here at this unique time and I just want to pray that your word again would speak clearly to each of our individual hearts. And Lord, at this unique time in a church family, I pray you'd speak to us all together to bring us together in unity for your glory, for the purposes you have in us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Remembering, I'm not such a good rememberer. How about you? Now, I chalk that up to the fact that I'm getting old, and I use this really weird excuse. There's so much stuff in my mind now that some stuff just has to fall out. Bad excuse. It just doesn't work that way. But here's my problem why I'm often not a good rememberer, because I live in the moment, in the present challenge, in the present situation, in the present crisis, and that seems like all-consuming at times. Has that ever happened to you? Yeah, so remembering becomes very difficult. And I agree there are times when we need to be singularly focused. As an athlete, I've learned you can't dwell on past mistakes or even past victories. You need to focus on the present. And yet God's Word reminds us that we need to be good rememberers. So early on in the way that God worked with his Old Testament people, 
He put some things in place. He actually told them, do some things because it's very, very important as you move ahead that you remember the past. Let me show you just a few of them. The first one is in Joshua 4. We're picking it up right in the middle of this massive, beautiful story of God's work among the people. And when all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from each tribe, and command them, saying, Take up for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the priests' feet are, standing firm, and carry them over with you, and lay them down in the lodging place where you will lodge tonight. So the backstory to all of that, God had done amazing things to rescue these people, to sustain these people, and they're on the verge of going into the land that he'd promised to give them, but they have this huge barrier. It's the Jordan River at flood stage. So of course, as God had been doing for many years now, he shows up and they cross the river into the promised land. Here's where the story goes next. He says in verse 6, or he writes, Let this be a sign among you, so that when your children ask later, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall say to them, Because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall become a what? Say it memorial to the sons of Israel forever. God is saying, do not forget what I did at this moment, and let me help you. Take these stones, pile them up, take your children there and say, at this moment, at this time, God showed up for us as his people. That word memorial, it means to mark or to remember or even to mention so it's not just go to those stones, but continue to talk about these things that God did among you because this will be important as you move ahead. So as God continued to work with his people, he did even more so that they would remember. He, he gave them festivals throughout the year that would remind them of all the different things that God had done. So you can see that up on the screen, all the fall feasts, all the spring feasts, and those were times like only Jewish people can do. They celebrated, they danced, they ate and ate and danced and celebrated some more. But it wasn't just to have a party. It was to remember what God did at a specific time in a specific way. So he gave them a whole year long of remembering. Each festival was meant to remind them of God's work in the past so they could live in the present well. We could fast forward in the history of God's people. The prophet Samuel has been called up to lead the people yet again, and they're again in an impossible spot. It's not a river that they're up against now. It's a people called the Philistines. Picking it up in 1 Samuel chapter 7. Now Samuel was offering up the burnt offering and the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel, but the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day against the Philistine, and he confused them so that they were routed before Israel. The men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them down as far as below Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone, and he set it between Mizpah and Shin, and he named it, he named it Ebenezer 
saying, thus far the Lord has helped us. That word Ebenezer, it's an interesting Hebrew word. It's what you see is a Hebrew word that was brought directly into the English text. It's a place, it's a name, but literally it means the stone of help. So here again, Samuel takes this stone and he said, mark it, remember it. At this day, the Lord showed up yet again to help us, to save us, to sustain us, to move us ahead. You see what God has done in the lives of his Old Testament people? He says, remember, remember, remember what I did all along the way. Now, we don't stack up stones. What do we do to remember? We write things down. We maybe write journals. Business meetings have minutes so we don't forget what we did or what we decided. We take photos. How many photos do you have on your phone? Thousands for some of you. I don't have too many, but my phone does this interesting thing. I didn't ask it to do it, but it does it. That's kind of scary. But it brings something up, says, remember this day. Does your phone ever do that? Yeah, and then you get these photos. Oh, yeah, I remember when we did that. That was cool. It helps me remember. So as a church family, we need to remember. As individuals, you need to remember what God has done in you through those photos, through those notes, through those journals, through those stories that you share today and into the future. Now, here's my challenge, or maybe it's not mine, maybe it's yours. Some of you with us today are really new to our church family, and it's exciting to see these new people, those of you that God has brought here on purpose. So today, at least the first part of my sermon today is not about remembering for you, it's about learning. It's like, wow, I didn't know that happened. And I would say that's also important because if God has brought you here to be a part of this particular church family, you should know what God has brought us through so you can rejoice in that and be encouraged by it. So here's what I want to do in just as brief a time as I can in the first part of this sermon is take you back some 66 years to what God did when he said, I want to start this church in Estacada. I'm going to show you some photos. I'm going to show you some really weird hand-typed documents. Do you remember those? Used to hand-type things. They're kind of hard to read. Let me show you this first one. It's been interesting as I've looked through documents. The church did a really good job of documenting what happened each year. So this was typed in 1957. It says, early in the fall of 1956, Mr. Willis Rayner and family visited the home of Mr. and Mrs. Martin Kraft in Colton, Oregon. Mr. Kraft was pastoring the community church in Colton at that time, but Mr. Rayner was living in Estacada. Mr. Kraft expressed dissatisfaction with the pastorate of a community work and told Mr. Rayner of his plans to leave the Colton church. Mr. Rayner stated that there was no Baptist church in Estacada, and they discussed the probability of starting such a work. So Mr. Rayner said he would contact Mr. and Mrs. Tomlinson and Mr. and Mrs. Lundeen, and Mr. Kraft should meet with the, the three families. Sometime, Mr., sometime later, Mr. Rayner sent a text to Mr. Kraft's home. <laughs> Imagine that. He left a note on his door saying, hey, let's have a meeting. 
the good old days, right? He left a note at Mr. Kraft's home saying that he had contacted those and saying that they'd be glad to meet with him on Sunday afternoon at 3 o'clock. November 18th at the house of Mr. and Mrs. Lundeen. Besides these were Dr. Chuck Pierce of Colton also attended that first meeting. That's Mr. Chuck Pierce. The prospects of this new church were discussed and a season of prayer was held in asking the will of God in the matter. That's the first stone. Willis Rayner, Mr. and Mrs. Kraft, God birthed an idea in their hearts and their minds. You should know that Willis Rayner is Carolyn Becker's father who is still with us. It's exciting to see that longevity come within our church family. God evidently had been working in Mr. Kraft, who was pastoring a Colton church, with what I call this holy dissatisfaction, saying, you're doing well, but there's more I need you to do and need to do in a different place. And so God began a work, and here's how it continues. Bear with me. On December 9th, the group met with Mr. and Mrs. Stone, Mr. and Mrs. Tomlinson, Mr. and Mrs. Rayner, Mr. and Mrs. Castile, Mrs. Lucille Herbert, or Harbert, Reverend and Mrs. Mugford, and Mr. and Mrs. Kraft in attendance. Now notice, a Bible study and prayer time were led by Mr. Kraft, and then, then a time of discussion concerning the formation of a new church. In each of these prayer services from November 18th until December 9th, the church was studied in scriptures, and prayer was offered for, leading, for the leading of God in forming a New Testament church. On this day, it was decided, on this day, it was decided to hold a Wednesday night prayer service the next Wednesday, and regular church services the coming Sunday. So more people said yes to this bold step of planning a Baptist church in Estacada. And they began meeting on Wednesdays and Sundays in December of 1957. It's interesting, and I hope you noted the repeated things they did every time they got together. One of them is they prayed, God, what do you want to do? And the second thing they did is they looked into God's word, God, how do you want us to do this? Prayer and the Word of God were foundational. So the church started meeting. I read on that they began meeting in the city hall. And Kurt Reisbeck, who has been with us for many, many years, has since relocated, tells us that the children's Sunday school classes met in the city jail, in actually the city cells. Now, I think that would be a good object lesson. <laughs> Pay attention or... What was Estacada like back then? From another meeting, when the documents were actually presented, after these deliberations, Mr. Kraft gave us a resume of potentialities in the Estacada area. The population of the town is 902. And already there are people moving in for two dam projects to be in full swing soon. There are a number of churches, but only two others, presenting the gospel. In general, all the people of Estacada show a sympathetic spirit to a new work, and the city hall was granted for use without any hesitation for rental for services. Brother Kraft also remarked that people were responding to invitations, and this was encouraging. The church would further desire to become a member of the Willamette Conservative Baptist Association and the state and national Conservative Baptist Associations. That was Estacada back then. It's a little bit different now, right? Population of over 5,000. 
projected to be 10,000 within probably a decade. The dams are now being rebuilt because they've worn out. God has brought other gospel-preaching churches into our community. Church, here's what I'm trying to get you to do, is to grab a stone and, and mark that God did something some 66 years ago, and he kept showing up and providing for the church. Now, as I've read through the church history, it's been interesting. Specific people are brought within the church family to do specific things at a precise time. And so as I put up on the screen the list of all the different pastors that have been a part of this church family leading in different ways for different seasons. Now, you notice is that up there, not too many of them stayed very long, but each one of them had a specific reason why God put them here because of what the church needed at the time. God continued to show up even through those that he provided to lead. You see E. Stanley Hunt there. Next photo, God used Pastor Hunt to lead the church in the groundbreaking for this first building that they would have. And you see that photo there. There's the pastor. There's Mr. Barnes, Mr. Rayner in the back, Mr. Haynes and Lundeen and Mr. Reisbeck. And some of you recognize those names that are their children have been active in this church family for years and years and years. But before any land could be developed, they needed land, and God used a man named Mr. Tomlinson to donate donate the property to build the church. Mr. Tomlinson lived to be 104 years old, and I think because God wanted his land to be used for a church. It was Pastor Wilson that shepherded the church through the building process for the sanctuary and the educational wing. The first service in the building was November 25th, 1962, and the educational wing was completed in 1966. And over the years after that, there were continued upgrades. There was continued property that was purchased around the building to add parking because God continued to add to the growth of this new church. Kim and I were privileged to begin attending the church when Leo Cummings was the pastor, and God used Leo Cummings to change the structure of the church to a plurality of elders as opposed to what it was before, one pastor supported by deacons. It was William Walson you see on the church, on the list there. We call him Wally. He used us, or he was used to equip us and activate us to be more assertive or aggressive in the community in evangelism. And the Lord brought more and more people. So I want you to remember. I want you to remember what God has done through specific people at specific times to see this church get to where it is to this day. But there was much, much more that God wanted to do, and God did that on September eleventh, two 2008. It was not what any one of us wanted, it was not what we expected, but to say it as clearly as I can, God started a fire. And we captured that at the time through a number of slides that showed not just the burning of our sanctuary, but the demolition of our sanctuary and even the rebuilding of our sanctuary. So take a moment, this takes five minutes to see this slideshow.
meet millions who tell me that they feel demoralized by the decay around us. Where is the hope? Where is the hope? Where is the, hope? the hope that each of us has is not in who governs us or what laws are passed or, or what great things we do as a nation. Our hope is in the power of God working through the hearts of people. And that's where our hope is in this country. That's where our hope is in life.
So that was a very interesting and challenging time within our church family, but yet again, we were up against something and God showed up. And those of you that are sitting here now during that time recognize that. So we gathered in the school auditorium while we built, rebuilt the church building, and God brought new people again to help us in that time. God provided the financial resources so that new beautiful worship center was rebuilt with no debt. But it's interesting, during the physical rebuilding of the church, there was something else going on in the spiritual rebuilding of his people. He was stirring us through a very exciting but also an exhausting time. So now we had this new, beautiful church sanctuary. It was beautiful. It was big. We worshiped in it for the first time on Christmas Eve 2010. So in that new building, we celebrated not just the birth of Jesus, but the work of Jesus within us because he started something within Estacada. So now we all thought, and I wanted, this time of rest, this time of recovery, this time of renewal. But yet again, God had other things in mind. It's interesting, we rebuilt a sanctuary to double our capacity, but as soon as we moved back into it from the auditorium, we were full. So we began praying, God, what do you have for us next? What do you want us to do? Is it building something onto this now worship center? So again, God showed up in a way that we did not expect. And in July of 2011, I received a phone call from one of the elders of Estacada Christian Church. Estacada Christian Church is one of the first churches planted in Estacada, but they had experienced a number of internal challenges that led them to, to realize that they could no longer maintain the building that they had been blessed with, and that's the one that we're in right now. Estacada Christian Church was going to dissolve, and their elders offered to gift our church family this building. So again, God did something completely unexpected. So we prayed, we studied, we talked, we prayed some more, and God led us to say yes to what would be a massive change within our church ministry. And this led to what some have called the great church swap, and here is the newspaper in Estacada at that time. The church building that we're in now needed some significant investments and repairs, and yet God raised up again the right people, provided all the money so that we could be in this community, or this uh, building, completely renovated debt-free. But the paper captures really the main thing that God was doing. You probably can't read that. Maybe you can over on the left side. It says, for all the bad press the Christian church has gotten in the past decade, a little-known story right here in Estacada could stand as an example of how things work when they're done well. In the end, it wasn't just our church family that was blessed. The whole body of Christ within Estacada was blessed because here's what happened. We were gifted with this facility. We gifted our just-rebuilt facility to Estacada Assembly of God. The Estacada Assembly of God gifted their facility to the Pregnancy Resource Center that is still functioning and even thriving today. And then we as well gifted another building that we own down the street to the Hispanic Church that is still going strong today. 
So we met in this building on Resurrection Sunday, 2012. So here we are, church, some 11 years later. Our community has changed. Our culture has changed. Our church family has radically changed. And yes, now our name changes. But here's what we've learned, if we remember well. It's through all the changes that God brought to us and all the changes that God brought us through that established and grew us to be the church family that we are today. So as remembering, as we remember what God has done in our past, the natural next response is to rejoice in that. So moving on to this next part, this biblical theme and thread that runs through Scripture about rejoicing, let me just take you to one brief text. It's in Philippians 3. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it's a what? Safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. You see the word rejoice there, and if we were to look back through the book of Philippians, we would see that this is the seventh time the Apostle Paul didn't suggest that these people rejoice, but commanded that they rejoice. Rejoicing is not contingent on what is happening around us or in us. Notice this command to rejoice is also right next to a command to beware because there's danger, there's trouble, and there's challenge. Notice the obvious connection with rejoicing. It's not based on our circumstances. It's based on the Lord. That's why it says very clearly, rejoice in who? Say it. The Lord. That word Lord could be translated rejoice in the master, rejoice in the authority, rejoice in the ruler. It's the word that means remember that God is the one that is in control at all times and in every situation. That's why just a little bit later in this letter he says again, the Apostle Paul, rejoice in the Lord when? Always. And he says it once again, rejoice. In other words, it's commanded because we should always be rejoicing regardless of the situation and regardless of the circumstances. You see, as we remember what God has done in our individual lives, as we remember what God has done in our lives as a church family, we see it was the Lord that did it. It wasn't us. Oftentimes, we didn't want the thing that God wanted to do. I'm so thankful that it's about the Lord. The Lord has worked in and through every circumstance. He's worked in every difficulty and every change so that the only response is rejoicing. So again, God started it with three. He moved it to 13. There were 20 founding members of this church family. And now we sit here today with close to 400 people who call this their church family. Noticed in that text in Philippians, it says it's a safeguard for you. What's a safeguard? Rejoicing in the Lord is a safeguard. That word is used again in the book of Hebrews connected with it's an anchor for your soul. Church, here's what that means. If we get distracted by all the circumstances and all the challenges, we're vulnerable. But if we focus our attention on what the Lord is doing, what he wants, 
what he's leading and empowers to do. That is a safeguard for us. We're secure in that. Now that rejoicing looks all, all kinds of different ways. We rejoice through singing. We rejoice through celebration. We rejoice in those quiet moments we have with the Lord. But the whole point of rejoicing, it's founded in what the Lord has done and who the Lord is. So I just want to tell you clearly, I'm rejoicing today in the Lord, not in this beautiful facility, because guess what? Beautiful facilities can burn down. We've learned that, haven't we? I'm not rejoicing in all the ministries that happen within this church family because all those ministries are pointless without the Lord doing something through them. I'm not rejoicing in this new name. I'm rejoicing in the fact that it's the name of Jesus that drives us forward and gives us security. Church, we're surrounded by challenges I think all of us recognize that as this church moves forward in this culture, challenges will only increase. Along with those challenges increasing, our rejoicing must increase. So remembering leads us to rejoicing, which leads us to reaching for what God has set us here to do. Let me continue on in the book of Philippians just a little bit. I'll read this passage, and we're just going to highlight a few things as we bring this to an end. He says, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on. This is the Apostle Paul. I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind Reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if anything, any of you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. Let me highlight a few things. The Apostle Paul had been dramatically called to be a follower of Jesus. He'd been discipled uniquely by Jesus, and he had been powerfully used by Jesus when he writes these words. And notice what he says, in all of that, I'm not there yet. In all of that, there is more that God wants to do. He recognized the blessing of his past, but he says, there's more that God wants to do through me. Understand, at this point that he writes these words, his life had been radically changed. But he says, there's more. There's more that God grabbed hold of me to be and to do. Now, as I look out over this congregation, I see radically changed lives. I want to remind you that God's not done with you individually, and he's not done with me or this church family. As we apply that to our church family, as we remember our past, we rejoice in what God has done, but that drives us, church, to reach, to be all that God started in this church family. Now, notice, notice in this text, he says, as I recognize there's more in the future, that will not be without some effort. Notice the words, I press on, I reach forward. 
He says it again, I press on. All of those words in our English language are very powerful words. In the Greek language, even more so, they could be translated, I eagerly seize it, I pursue it. Sometimes it's even translated, I persecute. In other words, it implies this violent sense of taking hold of something. So again, I think what's happening in these words, the Apostle Paul thinks back on his life and he says, God took a hold of me for a reason, and he's used me to this point, and I want to keep pressing in and pushing on so that all that he laid hold of me be, is realized as I laid hold of that to which he grabbed me for. Paul's conversion was not a soft conversion, and in that regard, he did not live a soft life. And I would say to you, none of us had a soft conversion. It cost the blood of Jesus to bring us into relationship with our Father. You know, one of the repeated exhortations that the Apostle Paul then writes to every church, let me show you this. He says, walk worthy, live worthy, Colossians 1, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, Ephesians 4 I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Philippians 1, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. That word worthy, it doesn't mean pay God back for something. It simply means in the same way that God saved you, live that out in a worthy way. Reach to be all that God grabbed hold of you for. In church, that will not be without effort for us personally or effort within our church family. God raised up people over the last 66 years to see the gospel outpost of Estacada First Baptist in this community. They lived with a purpose. They made huge sacrifices, both of their the money that God had given them, of the time God had given them, and the resources that God had given them. Were they perfect? The short answer is no. They had their conflicts, they had their challenges, but God brought them to this point. So the last 66 years has been full of change, and now here we are. What's next? Will we continue to reach to be all that God has for us in this community at this point in 2023, not 1956? Let me just say it again. Church, this will not be without cost. This will not be without sacrifice. This will not be without the enemies trying all the time to divide us. It will not be without the enemy always constantly trying to distract us to get us off our mission of pursuing the glory of God within this community. The culture is not going to support us. The culture is going to resist us, but yet it's the culture that desperately needs us. So as we move into the, church, into the future church, we're leading with Grace Crossing Bible Church. We're telling people that if you come here, you'll experience the grace of God. And if you come into these doors, you're going to hear the word of God. We're leading with Bible instead of Baptist because Baptist 
doesn't mean anything to people. But Bible does. Whether they agree with the truth of the Bible or not, they understand that in this building and through the ministries of this church family, they're going to hear the truth of God in Scripture. So let me just challenge you very directly. If you've been with us for a long time, and I say, don't quit. Don't retire. Don't go into coast mode because it's you that give us the stability within this church family moving ahead. If you're new with us in this church family, I'm thrilled that you're here. I want to tell you, God brought you here on purpose, not to sit here on Sunday morning and do nothing else, but to sit, soak in, and then serve within this church family. Be a part of the mission. We live in such a consumer-minded culture that many see the church as just a consumer product. You come in, and you take what you need, and if it's not meeting your needs exactly, well, you look for another one. I say discard that. If God has led you to this church family, put your roots down, get involved in the mission, because God has more for us as a church family. And I'm excited about the future. I hope you are as well. So remember well, rejoice well, reach to be all that God has you as an individual to be. And then as we have a church family together, all that he wants us to be. Can we pray about it right now? Father God, we're thankful for what you have done, for how you have worked I'm thankful that many years ago you called me into a relationship with you, and I know for most of the people here, they're rejoicing that you've saved them, and you've changed them, and you've used them for things that are far greater than themselves. Father, we want to ask for more. We want to ask for more at this time because we recognize that everything around us has fallen apart because people have rejected you and yet you've called us into relationships so that we can share the truth about who you are with this culture. Help us. Lord, we want more. We want more people. We want more opportunities. We want more challenges. We want more for your glory. Lord, I pray you'd keep us together, that you would help us recognize the, the, the lies of the enemy, the work of the enemy that's always within the church. Lord, help us look to you. Help us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And Father, as we ask all of those things, we just say thank you for your faithfulness over the years. That gives us hope. That gives us hope for the future because we know that you will always be faithful. Thank you, Father.